Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, hey there, Hill Country family. How many of you grew up as the youngest child in your family? Like you were the baby. You got bossed around and you got the hand-me-downs. Yeah, me too. And while it's easy to think about some of the disadvantages of being the last in line, there were some advantages, weren't there? I mean, for me, one of the perks of being youngest was when my older brothers would get tired of a toy or hobby they were into, they would oftentimes just pass it along to me, sometimes for my birthday. And I remember one year when I was in grade school, my older brothers, they got tired of buying and collecting their baseball cards. And so they literally passed along to me two old torn shoe boxes full of classic cards. And this was not your average baseball card collection. I mean, for those of you who are collectors, I want you to imagine thumbing through cards, many of them rookie cards of guys like Mickey Mantle, Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, Lou Brock. I and mean, those were the caliber of cards I had in my collection. And while my brothers, they had some inkling of the value of those things, I mean, they were worth a pretty penny back in the early 70s, I really didn't know what they were worth. And if I had them today, man, I could be making bank on eBay. Well, there were some kids in our neighborhood, friends of a friend, and they were into collecting cards, and they got wind of the fact that I had this classic collection. And being older and wiser, they just asked if they could take a look at some of my cards. And you can just imagine their salivary glands going nuts when they saw some of the rookie cards that I had in my baseball card collection. And, and before long, they reached into their back pockets and pulled out some of the cards that they had. And they were quick to note that I didn't have some of their great cards in my collection. But being the generous types, they'd be willing to maybe swap a few of their cards for my cards of equal value. Well, unfortunately, my friends, they were kind of clueless like I was. And they sort of looked over the trades and said, yeah, that seems fair to us. And that afternoon, I swapped some of my really, really nice baseball cards. And if you're cringing right now, you should be. As a little kid, I was excited about it, right? I couldn't wait to tell my brothers about the new cards I had put into our collection, what a great deal it was. And yeah, they weren't so excited. When I shared with them what I had done, they looked at me and said, you traded him for, for who? You dork. And it was about that moment I realized that I had been taken. I had been duped. I'd been conned. And you know, it's one thing to be conned out of a few baseball cards, maybe a little bit of pride, a little bit of money. But it's quite another thing to be conned out of your very purpose in life, your passion to obey God. And that's what we encounter this morning in Joshua chapter 9. Now, if you're just joining us, we're in the midst of this series called Battles Before Blessings. And it's a study of the Old Testament book of Joshua. And today, we're going to see that Joshua and his men meet some really slick con men, the Gibeonites. We'll call them the con men of Canaan. So let's begin by looking at the ruse that was presented to the Israelites, their response to it, and then the results. Okay, this is Joshua chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. 
says, now when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, those in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the great sea, as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, they came together to make war against Joshua and Israel. Okay, the first thing you want to note here is that these various kings and tribes are now forming overt alliances. They're coming together as one group to declare war. And that's not too surprising. But what takes you by surprise in this passage is not the overt attack, but a covert attack. See, there's a different alliance about to form here that should not have occurred. Verse three. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, they resorted to a ruse. Now, that's a very interesting word choice here in the Hebrew. That word translated ruse is the Hebrew term armah. And it's the same word used to refer to the serpent back in Genesis chapter 3 when God said the serpent was more crafty than any other creature. See, the enemy is up to something here. Verse 4. They resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. The men put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the men of Israel, we have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. The men of Israel said to the Hivites, but perhaps you live near us. How then can we make a treaty with you? Let's stop here for a second. God had already, already clearly communicated through Moses that the Israelites were to make no treaties with anyone in the land. Now, the people groups who were outside of the promised land, they could make a peace treaty with them, but not anyone inside the cities of the promised land. And the reason God didn't want the Canaanites to assimilate into Israel is because he knew that they would lead the Israelites into sin and idolatry. And so Joshua, he, he probes a little bit further in verse eight. We're your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, who are you and where do you come from? They answered, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, take provisions for your journey, go and meet them and say to them, we are your servants, make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now, see how dry and moldy it is? And these wineskins that we filled were new. But see how cracked they are? And our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. Hmm. So there's the ruse. They're making it look like they've come from outside of the land. And they only have one demand. Make a treaty with us. Make a treaty with us. It's repeated twice. And in this passage here, we find our main principle for today. It's simply this, don't be duped. Don't be duped. 
See, we're often defeated in life through deception. We are often defeated through deception. You know, the enemy is crafty. And unless we have our guard up and can recognize his schemes, we may fall for the ruse. Now, fortunately, we can learn from this story because there are several marks of deception that stand out here. First of all, deception preys on false confidence. Deception preys on false confidence. See, this incident, it comes right on the heels of a mountaintop experience for the nation of Israel. If you were with us, you may remember they had just gone back and defeated the city of Ai. They faced their previous failure and won a major victory. And then after that, they had this giant worship service on Mount Ebal where they read the word of God and renewed their covenant to remain loyal and obedient to God. So they were on a spiritual high and very confident at this point in time. But watch out. See, when you're riding high, there's often a false sense of confidence. You know, when I received the gift of those baseball cards, I had a false confidence in my knowledge and my ability to manage those cards. And overconfidence, let me tell you, it gets us into trouble, doesn't it? You know, ladies, if you're looking for a few catchphrases from guys who may be a bit overconfident, just look for these. The first one is, hold my beer, right? Hold my beer. Or another one is, hey guys, watch this. You know, things usually go downhill after those lines. And the same thing happens in the spiritual realm. We are vulnerable to the subtle attack of deception when we become overconfident. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Hmm. Deception preys on false confidence. Second, deception presents false evidence. Deception presents false evidence. Now to us, I think it's obvious here that they were presenting false evidence, but it wasn't obvious to Joshua and his leaders. And that should remind us to be on our guard at all times because we live in a culture that bombards us with all sorts of information they want us to buy into. I mean, people claim to have evidence for all kinds of silly things but it's false evidence. There's actually a book published back in the mid-90s entitled, How We Know What Isn't So, The Fallibility of Human Reason in Everyday Life. It was written by a Cornell University psychologist, Thomas Gilovich, and he says this, it's not stupidity or ignorance that makes so many Americans believe in nonsense. The world is a messy place, full of information that is ambiguous, incomplete, inconsistent, secondhand, or downright unpleasant. And we tend to see what we want to see. But things are not always what they appear. Things are not always what they appear. Hmm. Yeah, I remember back when I was a preschooler, my favorite store in the whole world was the local Utotem convenience store. It's about a mile from our home. I don't know if you had a you totem around the corner growing up or not, but I can still envision the wall-to-wall candy, Slurpees, cheap toys. It was like a little boy's paradise in that place. But the problem when you're four years old is figuring out how to get there. Well, fortunately for me, I had an older brother, six years, my senior, Bruce, and he would often just hop on his bike and ride to the store, and I could give him some money, and he would bring me back some candy. It was a great arrangement. 
But one afternoon, I remember as my brother Bruce, he was heading out the door, he turned to me and said, hey, Brian, instead of getting you candy today, like how would you like if I bought you a utotem? And I said, a utotem? Isn't that just the name of the store? He said, well, yeah, but didn't you know that the store you told him it's named after a little invisible creature called a utotem? And I was like, really? My, my eyes got this big. I, they actually have invisible animals that they sell at this place? He said, yeah. If you give me a dollar, I'll, I'll buy you one today. Well, a buck, that was a lot for a little guy. But how many of my friends had an invisible pet, right? So I eagerly forked over the money. I just couldn't wait for him to get back home. And you can imagine the shenanigans that went on when my brother Bruce got back home. Now, first of all, he said, you got to be careful because this little guy's invisible. You could easily hurt him. So make a little Kleenex box for him, right? That he can go to bed in and take care of him. And, and before long, he has me chasing this invisible utotem all around the house, trying to catch it. And if you're out there smirking or, or, or laughing at me, unless you had the tooth fairy, the Easter bunny and Santa Claus all figured out before age four, okay, you got no room to talk. And my brother, he was not an amateur con artist, okay? He had friends in on this whole thing, friends that claimed that they saw things move in the wake of this utotem. A few friends said, oh yeah, I've, I've held the little utotem in my hand. I could feel it there. Of course, somehow it always managed to jump away before I could get to it. <laughs> and I think my brother like used magnets under the kitchen table because I can remember seeing things move in the trail of this utotem on our kitchen table. There was some evidence there. Yeah, it was false evidence, but it had me fooled. And eventually, I think my parents got wind of this whole spoof and I got my money back. But here's my point. Like from my perspective as a little guy, that false evidence didn't look so false to me. Just like the evidence these guys presented to Joshua and his leaders, it didn't look false to them. So don't think the enemy is going to try and get you to buy into something without some kind of evidence. And it's up to you to determine the validity of that evidence. Now, is that a huge challenge for us today or what? I mean, with all the fake news and independent fact checkers, it's easy to be lied to. It's easy to be deceived, isn't it? So watch out for false confidence and watch out for false evidence. And then there's one final mark of deception in this passage. Deception promises false allegiance. Deception promises false allegiance. You know, when the Gibeonites showed up, one of the first things out of their mouth was, we are your servants. And then they talked about the fame of the Lord God as if they were pro-Yahweh. And in doing that, they coaxed Joshua into receiving them as friends a bit too quickly. See, deception often pretends to be your friend. A part of me being duped into trading my baseball cards was that those guys were friends of a friend of mine. And by getting that inroad with me, they gained my trust too quickly. That's salesmanship 101. Find a connection with the person. Years ago, Wendy and I were looking for a car at a used car dealership. And when the salesman found out I was a pastor, he suddenly shifted gears. Like he showed me he had a Bible in his desk, started speaking all this Christian jargon. Like, well, Brother Brian, isn't the Lord good? Let's talk about which car God wants you to buy today. Yeah, deception pretends to be your friend. It promises false allegiance. And for all of us, deception is coming. You know, God warns us in his word that Satan often appears as an angel of light. 
So let's take a look at the response by Joshua and his men here in verse 14. It says, the men of Israel sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Hmm. Okay, already, as we pause here, they made two key mistakes. First, not inquiring of the Lord. It's not the first time Joshua made that mistake. And second, sampling their provisions. You know, the word sample is actually not in the Hebrew text. I looked it up. It just said they partook of them. And that sounds innocent enough until you realize that eating someone's food in the ancient Near East, that was a form of a covenantal agreement with them. Let's read on. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live. And the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. So the Israelites set out and on the third day came to their cities, Gibeon, Kephirah, Beeroth, and kiriath Jerim. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders, but all the leaders answered, we have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. This is what we will do to them. We will let them live so that wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. They continued, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for the entire community. So the leader's promise to them was kept. Okay, you got to understand here, in the ancient Near East, they regarded all treaties as sacred, holy agreements. So if Israel had violated this oath, it would have brought great reproach on the nation and their God, Yahweh. So Israel's leaders were wise not to break their promise. In fact, later in Israel's history, King Saul put some of the Gibeonites to death in his misguided zeal. And you know what happened? God sent a famine on Israel as punishment. So the Israelite leaders made a crucial error in judgment here. They lacked discernment, and as a result, they were deceived. What's the lesson? Again, don't be duped. We're often defeated through deception. Again, what are the strategies of deception we should watch out for? Deception preys on false confidence, presents false evidence, and promises false allegiance. Okay, so that's how deception works in our lives. But before I wrap this up this morning, I want to talk about the flip side of deception, and that's making wise decisions. The way to avoid being deceived in life is to exercise wisdom and discernment. And fortunately, God has left us with some great insights in this text and throughout the Bible when it comes to the arena of making wise decisions. And they can be summarized with three Ps, prayer, perspective, and patience. I want you to say these out loud because I want you to remember them. Prayer, perspective, and patience. Prayer, perspective, and patience. Okay, first of all, in verse 14, we see that wise decisions require prayer. Verse 14 says this, the men of Israel sampled their provisions but did not inquire of the Lord. Okay, this is a serious condemnation of Joshua and his leadership. And there's a very interesting wordplay going on in the Hebrew here. You see, the literal translation of this phrase, they did not inquire of the Lord, is they did not seek the mouth of God. 
They didn't seek the mouth of God. Do you catch the wordplay in Hebrew here? These men sampled the moldy bread of the Gibeonites, meaning they used their own mouths as a test. But what they did not use as a test was the mouth of God. They relied on their own mouths, their own strength, but they didn't pray or inquire of the Lord. And wise decisions require prayer. Second, wise decisions require perspective. Like what's going on here is obviously different than what meets the eye. And in our lives, sometimes what appears to be true is not necessarily what is true. And we can be fooled if we just trust our own perspective. So wise believers, you know what they'll do to get perspective? They'll look to God's word and they'll look to the counsel of God's people before they make significant decisions in life. You know, if Joshua had looked to God's word, he would have been reminded that God had already given him a way to get yes or no answers to his questions. See, in that day, the high priest had the Urim and Thummim, two objects they would use as sacred lots by which he could have easily discerned the mind of God on any issue. So in Joshua's day, he could have sought the counsel of the high priest to determine God's will in this matter, but he didn't. Now today, we have the blessing of the complete Bible to guide us in our decision-making. See, God reveals his mind to us through his written word. But if we don't consult the Bible regularly, we'll make the same mistake Joshua did. We won't remember God's wisdom. Listen to 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Plain and simple, the Bible gives you God's perspective on what's right and what's wrong. And then we also gain perspective, not just from the Bible, but from God's people. Like we look for the Spirit's guidance through prayer and through the word, but the Holy Spirit also speaks into our life through other believers. Proverbs 15, tells us that plans fail for a lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. You know, wise people will seek out the counsel of godly men, godly women. I do that in my personal life, or if there are crucial decisions to be made at Hill Country Bible Church, I look to the word and I pray but I also consult our elders. I consult trusted pastors because I need the perspective that other people bring to the table. Like the Holy Spirit's wisdom doesn't begin and end with me. Wise decisions require a perspective greater than our own. A perspective we can get from the Bible and from other godly people. Okay, a third and final observation we can make from this passage is this. Wise decisions require patience. They require patience. Notice here, the Gibeonites ride into town and they don't waste any time. Like before they even get around to telling their full story, they say, we have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. And they pressure for an immediate decision from Joshua and his men. And Joshua, he responds too quickly to their demands. Have you ever been pressured that way? Like if you buy this vacuum cleaner tonight, you'll get $200 off. But not if you wait until tomorrow. Right, or this deal on vinyl siding is only good until midnight tonight, so sign on the dotted line right now. You know, there's wisdom in never making a big decision under pressure. Folks, it, it takes time to pray, to discern God's wisdom in the word, to get counsel from godly people. Proverbs 14.8 says this, 
The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. So remember these three Ps when it comes to making wise decisions in life. Prayer, perspective, and patience. Prayer, perspective, and patience. Now don't make a big decision without those three action steps. So the Israelites had to pay a price for being duped. Same is true in our lives. You know, Joshua and his men paid for their decision. First, they experienced dissension in the ranks. When the ruse was discovered, verse 18 says this, the whole assembly grumbled against the leaders. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders. See, the leadership lost credibility here. And whenever you make unwise decisions, it breaks down the trust of those who are following you, those who are counting on you. People, there's always a price to pay for being duped. So keep your guard up. Keep your guard up. Let me close with this. A long time ago, a story came out of Santa Cruz, California about a newly retired couple who bought their dream motorhome. And one of the features they were really looking forward to was the cruise control because it was the first vehicle they had ever owned with a cruise control feature on board. And that shows you how long ago this was, right? Well, eventually they go on their first trip and after a while, the husband got tired and turned the driving over to his wife so he could take a nap. So he goes in the back and he's laying down and she drove for over an hour straight down the highway with the cruise control on. But then she just decided to get up and go to the bathroom because she thought that cruise control was like an autopilot on an airplane. Fortunately, they survived the ensuing wreck. And afterwards, she explained to the police that she thought the cruise control would just navigate the road all by itself. You know, I would submit to you that there are times when we approach the Christian life in that way. Like we think we can live on autopilot. We think we've stored enough of God's word in our heart. We're reasonable enough. We can just sample the evidence to our own mouth. We don't have to consult the mouth of God. We don't have to pray. We don't need to take the time to seek the counsel of others. We can just go on autopilot. People, if you have that tendency in your life, then take a lesson from Joshua and the con men of Canaan. Don't be duped because we're often defeated through deception. Let's pray. Lord, if we're honest with ourselves, we just have to admit that we're a lot like sheep, just as you've said in your word, and that it's real easy for us to get the wool pulled over our eyes. So help us, Lord, to learn from this story in Joshua that we are always at risk, and we need to be on our guard against deception from false confidence, false evidence, and false allegiance. And Lord, help us to be able to make wise decisions in life through prayer, perspective from the Bible and other godly people, and patience. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.